Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. So carrying on with our side-by-side analysis, Paul, finally we're into different territory, aren't we, with, with disc two of the three LP set. Changes gear completely, doesn't it? Into new territory. Yeah, proper songs and the and the first appearance very shortly of Peter Cook. Mm. And we get uh, a wonderful start to side three, don't we? Yeah, in my opinion, it's the best song on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Five o'clock in the morning, and it's amongst the best half dozen songs ever to come out of the songwriting pens of uh, the four members of Ten CC. I mm. think it's a wonderful record. It's a lovely song. Not my favourite piece of music on Consequences, as you know. Yeah. But it was an, an Im- immediately, as a teenager, immediately a song that I, I, I loved on, you know, sort of first contact. Brilliant. me that I think five o'clock in the morning is a is a really nice scene setter I mean we'll come very shortly to to look at the 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 five characters in in Peter Cook's play Mm -hmm. each of whom have their own song don't they their own ditty sometimes when I look at five o'clock in the morning I think well it doesn't really fit the narrative of the of the of the of the playlet but more recently I've thought Actually, what it does do is set the scene of humanity going about their daily business, getting up in the morning, getting ready for work, driving to work, arriving at work. It's almost saying, this is, this is normality, things are about to change. It's five o'clock in the morning, you're lying in your bed, you wonder why it's not morning in But still your eyes are closed You spread your dreams like butter on your toes That's a very good way of looking at it. Um, I've wondered long who, who is the protagonist of Five O'Clock in the Morning. I and think it's every man. I think that, that makes sense because I've never been able to assign it to anybody. Um, note at the very opening you get the bird sounds. Yeah. Um, Gizmo produced one imagines um and they're very important because they appear later on mm. um <clears throat> it's a, it's kind of we're coming out of peaceful normality day to day yeah just another morning um the 16th of april 
and then suddenly it's the 17th of April and something tumultuous is going to happen, isn't it? Yeah. Like with the last line, it says, something seems to be different and you can't quite put your finger on it at all. Exactly. It's a nice lead-in to, to what's going to happen. But something seems to be different And you can't quite put your finger on it at all Yeah, but before you get to that point, you've got a wonderful song, lovely piano playing from LOL. Yeah. And there's... Again, there's very little in this recording. It's so intimate. It's piano. There's a little bit of bass drum added mm. in the second verse. Again, Kerry's is a master of understatement on his kit. Yeah. Doesn't need drums, just needs that um, bass drum to provide the subtle propulsive element. Mm. Just like the way he used the Moog bass on I'm Not In Love. It's all that that track needs. Sound of lovely um incredible <clears throat> i think it's an 11 chord isn't it with the master voices just before the start of every section yeah it's the expectant it's like the sun coming up the sun mm. coming out the carol king chord yeah yeah right. hugely multi-tracked yeah you know, it's reminiscent of i'm not in love that kind of thing to, to, to go into a little bit of, of musical nerdishness an 11 chord what, us yeah an 11 chord is like a four chord and a five chord stacked on top of each other yeah both of which want to resolve back to the tonic mm. uh, via the plagal cadence and the perfect cadence. So you've got this huge urge, mm. this expectancy to, to resolve. Right. And you know what chord it's going to land on, don't you, yeah. on the other side? Yeah, this, this wonderful sound. And yes, the, the, the multi-track vocals are, are lovely. I mean, OK, they, the technique harks back uh, to I'm not in love, but mm. since they invented the technique, why not? And it <laughs> yeah. just sounds glorious. <laughs> Um, the lead vocal in the verses is lol. Yeah. Um, and then Kev sings the, the Kev latter sings part, the he? middle eight. And that again, I mean, Kev, Kev's voice, he's an astoundingly good singer. And his vocals on this album are better than anything else he, he, he's put down on tape, I think. Incredible. He was a bit of a secret weapon in 10cc. Yeah. I mean, Kev's voice is so soulful and yet... But a it, huge range. A huge well. range, but it's rich. It's a bit like chocolate, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you... Uh, um, you wouldn't it's great but i'm not sure even i'd like to hear an album where every song was sung by kev because mm. it is so overpowering yeah. but but it's been held back and held back and held back until the middle eight of this song so mm. i mean you're already like 40 plus minutes into the album before you hear kev singing and that middle eight um uh I love the lyrics there. Oh, me too. I, 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 it's my favourite part of the song. Shifting through the gears, it's eight o'clock in the morning. It's been eight o'clock for years. What I a line. I mean, speaking that. as somebody who's been uh, working at, at uh, <laughs> not literal coalface, but, you know, sitting in a comfy chair in an office, uh, going to work every day and commuting for 30-plus mm. years, that line really hits home. Mm. Shifting through the gears, it's eight o'clock in the morning. It's been eight o'clock for years The factory gate 
lights are opening to let the night shift out and the day shift in. And then you have the, you know, from the viewpoint of the song, it's maybe it's Pepperman driving past a factory gate on his on his way in. It into could the be office. Walter. He owns a factory, I think. Yeah, there's he? lots. Of the, the illusions are there, aren't they? Absolutely. And I love. I think there's some lovely lyrics on this. I love the image of the toothpaste slithering out the drawer of the bathroom. As yeah, well. that's a real godly and cream touch, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah, uh, making an inanimate object um, animate in some ways. Yeah, gorgeous song. I think a, a, a lovely vocal from Lol actually. Oh yeah, and yeah. and very often his his lead vocals are quite abrasive, aren't they? On the when you look back to particularly the early 10cc hits. Yeah. Uh, He's usually given the kind of Mike Love of the Beach Boys role of, of that kind of nasally, uh, sort of high register sound. Yeah, Don, Donner and Rubber Bullets. I mean, he's, yeah. his is the signature sound of early 10CC Definitely. before perhaps Eric becomes the signature lead vocalist later. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's miles from that here, isn't he? He's, he's sweet. I mean, for years, I thought that was Kev singing the whole thing. Right. But it, uh, it, is, it is definitely Lowell. Yeah, it's, it's, I can't think of a, a, a softer vocal that, that Lowell did. And it, it's ironic that the, the very next proper song on, on the album, When Things Go Wrong, uh, is Lowell. It's more similar to his usual voice yeah he's in, in, in he's, many ways it's kind of, again it's that slightly slightly abrasive uh almost grating qualities that that he brings out deliberately on on that track we'll come come on to that shortly agreed yeah yeah so yes yeah, it's, it's a brilliant start to 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 that side leads in nicely sets up the the context of of the world that's about to to be under threat of destruction by the four elements right earth air fire and water and we get a nice puzzling cryptic introduction from the hero of the piece mr blint the crank downstairs with his piano (laughs) it was 10 o'clock on a wet and windy april morning the hurricane that destroyed honolulu was moving north towards florida Experts forecast that the weather would remain unpredictable for the next few days. I checked my tarpaulin and all my equipment and logged them in my diary. My piano still needed tuning. Above me, in my attic, four conflicting forces were about to gather. Perhaps only I knew what the day would hold. So coming out of five o'clock in the morning, morning we get this um, nice continuity. We've, we've gone through five o'clock, six o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the song. And then we get the opening dialogue from Peter Cook making his first appearance as Mr Blint. It was ten o'clock in the morning. And uh, we just have this... Uh, 
ambient sound. It's mm. there's a bit of reverb to make it sound echoey, scribbling in a, with a with a pencil on on a, in his diary. Um, there's um, ticking of a clock, a few plunking notes of a piano, and just this weird, rather uh, isolated, uh, disconnected piece of dialogue about we don't really know what's happening, although some kind of scene is being set. Um, uh, and then he, he, he strikes the key line above me in my attic, four conflicting forces were about to gather. Mm. And that's our first clue, isn't it, that the four elements that we've already encountered in, in disc one, earth, air, fire and water, at war with mankind, with this ominous threat of destruction. We've already had Honolulu destroyed, it's, it's about to do the same in Florida, etc. We have these four characters upstairs um, through a hole in Blint's ceiling. We have a, the uh, the offices of a of a solicitor, for want of a better word, Mr. Haig, who's hosting a meeting with uh, a divorcing couple, Walter Stapleton and his and his estranged wife Lulu, and her lawyer Malcolm Pepperman. We get the first clues that those four human characters. Are personifications of of the of the four elements. Uh, I, I don't think it's too early to have a little sharpener. Uh, would you care to join me, Mr. Stapleton? Oh no, oh no, not for me, Mr. Haig. I only drink at weddings. <laughs> yes, that's uh, that's the way I started. Cheers. Mr. Pepperman and his client have arrived. Ah, well, send them in. This divorce, it's, it's just a formality, isn't it, Mr. Haig? I mean, we just sign the papers and go our separate ways like we always have. Uh, uh, yes, Mr. Stapleton, I, I, I see no... Um, um, uh, oh, good morning, Mr. Pepperman. <laughs> Sorry I'm late. I was delayed by headwinds on the M4. It's terrible out. Thank God for the rolls, I say. Some of the cheaper cars were going backwards. Hello, Lulu. Bonjour, Walter. Now, on one of our earlier podcasts, Paul, we, we talked about the, that lovely touch where every time a character says the word hole, thank you, <laughs> there's a burst of, of four-part harmony. And, of course, <clears throat> Pepperman comes in, uh, storms into the office, and the first thing he talks about is that my attention has been drawn to this large and gaping hole. Before we sit down to discuss anything... I would like to put it on the record that my attention has been drawn to a gaping hole. Ah, yeah. In the floor on which we stand, there is a large and gaping hole. Let us begin by clarifying whether this hole is with or without prejudice. Ah, yes, perhaps we ought to clear that up. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not actually responsible for the hole, although it is my office. It belongs to the man downstairs. Uh, the hole, uh, that is, not, uh, not, not the office. Uh, <laughs> he is, as you'll probably guess, a, uh, a pianist, and this is his hole. Mr. Blint was the only owner... That's, uh, that's Blint with a B? Uh, yes, he was the only owner unwilling to sell when this block was constructed, so... <laughs> as a compromise, the developers built round him, and technically that hole is, uh, is his attic. It has never been my practice to conduct business in other people's attics. It never has been and it never will be. An attic is not an environment for serious negotiation. I've never negotiated anything in an attic. 
and any business of any kind that I have conducted in an attic has been under duress. We're thinking about it before, weren't we? And I've, I've since uh, tried to work out the notes of that of that chord on the guitar. And if my guitar's tuned properly, which I'm sure it is, but it, may, it might not be, I reckon the chord is a B major seventh. Mm. Okay. Which, uh, as uh, I think that's the notes, B, D sharp, F sharp, and an A sharp on top. Yeah. Yeah. Four notes for a four, start. Four notes uh, in sort of regular intervals. First, the first, the root note, one, uh, third, fifth of, of that uh, of that um, scale and major seventh which is, is literally number seven mm. now what I find interesting about that choice of chord even though it's not mentioned by Mr Blint at any time so it doesn't seem to fit thematically with some of the music theory that's, that, that Blint spouts what I do find interesting about the B major seventh chord is that it's made with your four fingers in a perfect straight diagonal line on the guitar. It's, it's, it's the most beautiful looking chord in many ways because it's a straight diagonal line, rather like a side of a pyramid, <laughs> which we'll come on to later. Okay. So there might be some sort of aesthetic thing going on or it just sounds lovely. Yeah, it's a beautiful sound. They're also all prime numbers, aren't they? They are. Whether that's got anything to do with it. They almost add up to 17. Yeah, yeah. Pretty One, they... three, five, seven. What do they add up 16, to? 16, I think. Oh, it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Throw in an extra one on top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, maybe we're looking, uh, you know, too much into it, but... I would have thought so, but hey, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. And <clears throat> we're throwing that clue so early in the in the story, but it, it, it took me years to even even start thinking about what it could mean. I hope I'm barking up the right tree. The four elements in harmony, the whole, the W-H-O-L-E, uh, the whole of nature in harmony. I'd say that the major seventh is the most beautiful chord around, isn't it? Oh. I think if, if they have, a you know, nation's favourite chords, it's got to be up there. <laughs> yeah, there's um, a song, um, who sang Slight Return? The Blue Tones. Right. Where did you go? That's um, a, a major chord to major seventh chord and it's a beautiful a, a beautiful change and mm-hmm. um, there's something kind of unfinished about major seventh chord but somehow there's a lovely chiming completeness yeah it. it's unfinished but it doesn't matter it's not like a dominant seventh yeah. which is kind of itching to get back to yeah you know it's a resolution it's the beatles wanting to hit you with the chorus isn't yeah, it yeah yeah uh but this is a, there's a bit more of a jazzy sort of feel to it I've been doing a little bit of, of reading about this, but I'm also thinking back to something that we did at, at, at school. We may have been reading Shakespeare or something like that, and I remember the English teacher talking to us about the four humours. I'm not sure if you've ever come across these, Paul. No. I reckon Peter Cook must have had these in mind when he when he was sort of formulating uh, formulating the, 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 these four characters. Uh, the element of fire is associated with a, a characteristic called uh, someone who's choleric. Um, I mean, French for anger is colère. So a choleric person is, is, is prone to anger. Mm-hmm. Malcolm Peppermint is the, the fire character. Um, he's a smoker, for example. Um, we, we hear him 
you know, ask if he can light a cigarette. And there are lots of other fire allusions to him. He's a very fiery kind of personality, very quick to lose his temper and stuff. So Peter Cook's very, very closely following that, that given characteristic of, of someone with a, a fiery temperament. Water is associated with, um, with melancholy. And, and I, I, should, I should have said that choleric, the, the, the fire thing, is associated with hot and dry. Water is associated with wet and cold. And Haig, Mr. Haig, is the water character uh, in consequences. He's got a goldfish. Uh, he's mad on all things the sea. His wife has a yacht. She eventually dies on the yacht. His name is a port in Holland, etc., etc., etc. And he, he's quite emotional, um, gets very upset when his wife dies, of course. The earth uh, is represented by dry and cold, and the, the, the traditional kind of the Greek theory of, uh, of these humours is, is associated with earth being f uh, phlegmatic. Uh, this is Walter Stapleton, who's a, a very phlegmatic character, very kind of dry sense of humour, very down-to-earth and so on. And the air character, who is represented by Lulu, the French prostitute, Walter's wife, uh, is associated with the, the, the Greek principle of, of sanguine. You think of the, the French word sang, meaning blood. Uh, and, and the sanguine characteristic is kind of a more carefree uh, sort of uh, personality trait. So for me, Peter Cook is really following those, those four classical Greek uh, personality traits very very closely there that must have been the, the basis for 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 the characters that he designs um, I'll go on to another theory which I read on Wikipedia recently which is hilarious but brilliant something else I read as well was that Pythagoras developed that uh, the original ancient theory of the four humors by introducing a fifth ele fifth element which he called ether and that's also known as spirit, and in the Hindu language, known as breath. So you've got earth, air, fire, and water, but you've got this additional uh, element that brings life to substances in the universe, uh, which Pythagoras introduced, and lots of other religions and philosophies have these basic elements, variations, very close variations of what we've just talked about but they have this added ingredient. Call it, you know, an early imagining of DNA or something like that. But Pythagoras is, is, is definitely uh, describing an extra element that gives life. And I'm thinking, looking at consequences as a whole, perhaps we shouldn't look at it as four elements, but we should look at, at Blint being that fifth element, fifth element, the, the, the life force that's attempting to bring all those four disparate elements back together right. to, to make a, a harmonious whole. Yeah, he's the conduit between the other four, isn't he? Both in the personifications, in the individual characters and in the elements themselves. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so I think there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of logic there. A little bit later, perhaps on I think the next podcast, we'll talk about what I think might be part of the theory behind Blint's 
crazy thinking about pyramids. And for me, the pyramid is linked to what I've just described as, a, as five elements who are or should be part of, of one whole. But on this day, on April the 17th, the world is cracking apart and the elements are at war, not just with humanity, but with each other as well. There was a brilliant thing I read on Wikipedia, Paul, on the Peter Cook entry. And there's, there's quite a nice, very short, but very nice little piece about his contribution to consequences on okay, there. Okay, okay. Which is really interesting. There's a marvellous idea that, that somebody put forward about where Peter Cook got his inspiration for his characters in this. I think you'll love this. I wonder if you can guess. Look back to uh, his early career after coming out of, of uni uh, with Beyond the Fringe. Right. Can you guess which of those, those four characters ended up as characters as in who? consequences? Well, I mean, you're talking about uh, Cook, Moore, Bennett and Miller, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I wouldn't like to assign each one to an element, but you reckon that's... Not elements. Just think about the, 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 the personalities, the voices. Ah, oh, right. Bennett's got to be Stapleton. Yeah. Um, you're, you're both Yorkshiremen. Right. Fill me in with the others. Uh, piano playing <laughs> Blint. Oh, OK, yeah. 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 Dudley Moore. And I suppose Blint's voice sounds a bit like some of the, the characters that, that the sort of the working class um, sort of stooge that Dudley that, that played to Pete in, in the early days. Okay. Uh, although I think Blint's voice is more like Peter Cook's Wistie character. Yeah, yeah, Wistie. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Miller was Jewish. Okay. Uh, and had, you know, a, a large and noble nose, which we know Malcolm Pepperman, the, the, the lawyer, has. And uh, yeah, so I, I, there might be some, there might be some mileage in that idea. Okay. What do you so, think? What, who's Lulu then? <laughs> Peter Cook's wife. Oh well, okay. Maybe Lulu was based on 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 some aspect of Judy Huxtable's personality. Okay. She was an actress, wasn't she? she yeah. Did quite a few sort of cult films. Yes. And so on. I'm waiting for her autobiography to arrive by Amazon. <laughs> Hasn't turned up yet, but hopefully by then uh, we might have filled in some of the blanks. By Please then. lend me that one. That I will. That. Yeah. And of course, Peter Cook had, had been through at least one divorce by the time yes. consequences came along. Yes, I think so. So he might have been inspired by experience. Uh, certainly a lot of the humour that comes out of of the divorce proceedings must have been inspired by some his annoyance at the the, the nitpickingness. It's very visceral, isn't it? I, I mean, for, for, for a long time, I assumed that either Godley or Cream were going through a divorce because this is so central, but mm. happy to report the, the marriages were and still are intact. Yeah. Um, but of course, they, they, they were literally in the process. Divorcing of, from 10CC, yeah. right. But OK, but um, I think Cook must have brought, brought a lot of the... the the feel, the um, the attitude. Mm. Um, he's a pretty dark character, anyway, isn't he? he was, yeah. I mean, he was about to go into some very dark places shortly after. That's right, and and part of the the, the Wikipedia thing about about these characters, you know, linking with the beyond the fringe um, personalities, was that Peter Cook himself 
is sort of autobiographically represented by Mr. Haig, right? The drunkard. Yeah, yeah, the alcoholic. Yeah, and, you know, Peter Cook struggled with 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 alcohol, so then there might be something in that. Uh, I, I I love the dialogue on consequences. I love the the interplay between the characters. Although I think the early part of the dialogue feels to me a little bit stilted. Some of the the timing of it is a, is a bit artificial. It's not quite as funny on on this this first side as it becomes. I think um, that would fit with the fact that they recorded it sequentially, didn't they? So mm. they were um, over the three months that Peter Cook worked with Godley and Cream, recording the dialogue mm. interspersed with the music. The bits we hear first on the album, I, I believe, are the first bits recorded, so that, that yeah. they, they got into the groove as they went along. Yeah, and it, it, it's not quite well oiled yet. Right. He sort of, it, he obviously kind of got into the groove eventually, and it's lovely as, as we go through the, the the final sides of consequences. Peter Cook becomes more in, integral to the music as well, yes. where he actually takes direct part in the in the music. With mobilisation and please, 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 and, and Rosie, so of course. Yeah, and Rosie. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a lovely introduction. We we have um, the, the very first sound that that we hear upstairs is Haig pouring himself a whiskey. Nice uh, ten o'clock in the morning. Nice work. Which in turn wakes up uh, Stapleton. Yeah, who's AKA sleeping earth. Sleeping earth. Yeah. yeah, from his from his slumber. Yeah, and you know Malcolm Peppelman ar- arrives like a like a tornado, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Complaining about how windy it is outside. Yeah. Some of the cheaper cars going backwards, <laughs> and he travels in on the M4. Was that just a, uh, a throwaway reference, or is it another numeric? You know me, Paul, I don't think there's anything to throw away in consequences. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that the M4 is just another little clue about the, the four elements and so on. So, yeah, we're well on our way there. And the first genuinely funny bit of dialogue, I think, is when, when Pepperman announces, uh, apropos of nothing, that he's Jewish and always have been. And we get that lovely little monologue. Uh, which we'll hear in a second, which uh, is a great introduction to the next proper song on the album. Right. Just going back to um, Stapleton uh, drifting off um, back into slumber, there's a a great use there of what we're beginning to call the viewpoint, if you like. Um, uh, Haig and uh, Pepperman are talking out some uh, some administration and their voices, which start in the foreground, gradually bleed away into the background. And, and we're with Stapleton inside his head as he starts to drift off to sleep. And he, he's, he's hearing uh, Mr. Blint's piano uh, musings from downstairs. Mm. The piano gradually comes to the fore. Um, and uh, he just mumbles Mrs. Cretch which is a seemingly throwaway reference, but that comes back in again later. Mm. One of his neighbours or something. Yeah, and it's this use of space. We're, 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 sort of, we're, we're with Stapleton as he drifts off, and then we're brought back into the room again mm. and, uh, as, as he's kind of awoken out of his slumber. Mm. It's lovely, though, isn't it? And another of those fabulously visual tricks. And, and again, I think they're... I mean, Kevin Lowell have often said, you know, they're frustrated filmmakers, always were. You can really feel the, the camera tracking back, can't you? Yeah. Fr- from 
you know, a close-up on, on the two lawyers, but tracking back so that Walter suddenly comes into sharp focus as a big close-up. Yeah, this is the thing. This is, I mean, there, there, there may be other works like this, but I don't know of any sound work where you get this impression of the camera, you know, mm -hmm. on its dolly or zooming around. You, mm -hmm. you, you, it, 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 it's one of the things that makes it such a rewarding mm. listen, isn't it? Yes. I've never negotiated anything in an attic, and any business of any kind that I have conducted in an attic has been under duress. If this divorce is to succeed, as we all pray it will, it must be properly conducted within an agreed framework. And I trust that this will not be a subject of contention. I don't think my client has any objections. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry I dozed off again. Yeah, and you can really disappear into its world. I know what all, all the characters look like. Yeah, <laughs> right. I know there are sketches in the booklet, yeah. but I think even before I saw that, I had an impression of them. I can picture the office. Uh, I, I can I can picture everything, yeah. which which is un, which isn't unusual because any great author, he or she will will create a world and and you can you can picture the the characters in a novel and the settings and it's exactly the same here, isn't it? Totally, totally. So any anything else to to say about that, Paul? Before we go on to when things go wrong, uh, the the Jewish speech. Oh yeah. Uh, Peter Cook as Peppermint. Uh, gives this comical speech about being Jewish. Uh, I think it hides a, a, a serious, serious point. Um, Kev and Lowell um, are from a Jewish background, of course, as, as Graham Goldman. Um, in Kev's autobiography, uh, he goes on to he goes to explain a really disturbing incident where he was he was bullied. I think he was bullied over quite a long period of time, but uh, and that had a racial uh, element to it. So I think they're exercising some of that hurt. Um, it, it's done in a very comic way. They're talking about the Jewishness of uh, of, of Pepperman and mm. his stereotypical traits, if you like. But I think that was a way for them to exercise exorcise some demons um the following album by godly and cream of course l had a quite hard-hitting song called punch bag mm -hmm. which talks you know pretty directly about what may have been the same experience yeah of, of kev's definitely let me begin with a statement that i trust will not be a matter of dispute i am jewish and always have been i'm not ashamed of it and i'm not proud of it the whole thing is not an issue to me it's irrelevant and I see no reason why my being Jewish should be dragged into the discussion at all. The fact that I've been massacred personally for thousands of years is neither here nor there. So can we at least agree on one thing, namely not to waste our time discussing whether I am Jewish or not? And of course, when things go wrong, uh, carries on the, the, the Jewish story, doesn't it? And yeah. the, the, the protagonist in that one, uh, I feel it's, it's, it's Pepperman's song. And he's... Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's a, a little insight into his stresses and anxieties, this constant angst, the acid burning in his stomach, the, the sleepless nights. Yeah. And the, I don't know, there's a, just a, a, an uncomfortable restlessness of, of, about him. And I like the, the, the characters, as we said before, they've all got their own individual song or... or Obviously, the divorcing couple have got their own sort of, if you like, duet. I really like the fact that even though the lyrics of these individual songs don't directly link with Peter Cook's story, 
they give a bit of deep background, don't they? Yeah, exactly. They give you a nice bit of exposition about the characters. Yeah, uh, which is which is which is great. Yeah, and uh, I love the, uh, the the delivery. Log Cream's delivery is 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 I think deliberately Jewish. Yeah, stero- yeah, yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's stereotypically it's, Jewish. Uh, it's exaggerated, isn't it? It, re- it really is. I love the when thing he rushes just, that line. Yeah, we're dining out to her with a shortest knife, and I hate the shortest. It's a head. It's and it's ahead of the rhythm. It's uh, it, it, fantastic. Yeah, I never wake up in the morning because I never go to sleep at night. And you just it, it it does give me indigestion this this track because there's, there's so much kind of angst in it and a lot of the sounds are quite abrasive. There's Lowell's vocal for a start, and then we've got the duet, haven't we, between the guitar saxophone and the saxophone saxophone. Yeah. All quite raspy, high-mid sounds. Uh, it's only the, the start of it. Where, I love the start, actually. You've got uh, a Kev vocal and some percussion instrument that sounds to me a bit like a kalimba. You know, the... the Finger piano, they, they, they you play I with think you? it's a traditional African okay. instrument that Earth, Wind and Fire kind of use <coughs> very often on certainly their early stuff. Beautiful sounding instrument. I don't think it's uh, vibes or, or glockenspiel. Right. It, it feels that, like the, the metal prongs are a bit smaller than that. It's a beautiful sound. Uh, but then as soon as the vocal starts, you, you get into, into kind of a deliberately toe-curling delivery, which yeah. is very effective, I think. Not one of my favourite songs no, on the record. it's not easy listening. Uh, no, but I actually don't think the song is that strong. It's for, no. for me personally, it's probably the weakest standalone song on the record. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. But it does. it's very good at, at giving you a picture of, of the very unhappy man that Malcolm Pepperman is. Oh, very much so. Having enough difficulties with this divorce already without you poking your nose into it. What's the point of inventing a problem when it isn't there? I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. My doctor said I got to stay in bed a week, at least a week or three, but that would drive me crazy. My lawyer said my case is So we come out of when things go wrong, and almost immediately, um, as as Peppermint starts to bang on about hairpins and <laughs> l- ludicrous uh, as, um, assignation of uh, of assets in a divorce, we have this gorgeous uh, little mm. uh, piece of music 
mine, yours, ours, which which mm. isn't even labelled as a track because it, I guess because there's dialogue going on over the top of it. That's oh, a beautiful thing. One of our chums on on one of the Facebook groups was was raving about this track, and we're, we're absolutely yes. with you. I've only riffled idly through this list on my way here in the car, and I'm only too aware of one glaring omission. In this list, I can find absolutely no mention whatever of hairpins. I've seen divorces break down on omissions far smaller than this. But I haven't got any hairpins. Are you seriously telling me that throughout your long and judging by your shoes successful career, You've never accumulated a hairpin in any shape or form? Or even half a hairpin? Oh, well, what's half a hairpin? What indeed? If you don't know what half a hairpin is, how can our side be expected to believe that you're cognizant of what a whole hairpin comprises? For all we know, you may have a whole horde of half hairpins it's beautiful yeah musically i'm so su- i mean i'm surprised that this wasn't wasn't worked into a song somewhere it, yeah. I, I do wonder whether some of these musical fragments or were or were already extant and just didn't find a home in 10 cc i mean graham goldman has um on record as, as saying that godly and cream would would go places with their songwriting but they'd only go to a section once and he'd have to kind of mm. uh, encourage them to come back and reuse a section because an individual piece of music was was so brilliant that's right i mean i think they were like i think we said earlier that they were almost obsessed with newness yeah weren't they all the time right right and this is a fantastic piece of music, just piano, uh, subtle rim shot on the drums, um, and gorgeous harmonies. Warm, yeah. soft harmonies. Yeah. With, Jazzy. With, with extended chords layered on top in, in places mm. of, of other chords that are already there in the harmonies. I could listen to it all day. Yeah. Could be a track, or should be, should be made into a track. Mm. But it's, it's not reused anywhere else on the album, and I don't recognise that sequence as appearing anywhere no, else I later think so. on. So straight out of that lovely tune, we've got one of my favourite sound effects on the whole album is the sound of Blint's lift coming up. Well, if there are any hairpins there, uh, Lulu's, I mean, uh, I don't use them much. Which is exactly what I've been trying to establish. And every time it happens, I'm almost giggling in advance because you just know that Blint's coming up for a bit of tomfoolery, basically, isn't he? Either to take the piss out of them or to give them a tantalising clue about what he knows is going to be happening to the world and to give them a little, uh, a little insight into his crazy imagination. I make it around 10.17. Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry about this. Uh, Mr Blint, yes, my goodness me, it is. Yes, my bath's about three quarters full now, so I can't hang around here for long. It takes 11 minutes to fill and six minutes to empty. By the time I have to fill it again, it will be 25 and a half minutes past 10. And I like to do a little work around then. We are in the middle of a rather serious business negotiation, Mr. Blint. Yes, I heard quite a lot of it. Your goldfish looks hungry, Mr. Haig. Yes, thank you. (laughs) 
Are, are we to understand that you tell the time by continuously filling and emptying your bath? Oh, no. That would be an idiotic way to operate. I don't know about you, but I rely on a watch. What I was telling you was basically a foolish lie. I just, I just love that. Also, have you noticed that uh, Haig... It's the first time Blint's ever come up in this lift, isn't it? Yeah. Because Haig's surprised, my goodness, Mr Blint, so it is. Yeah. Which indicates, you know, this is a, this is a start of something completely different. Yes, because he, he actually mentions later in the album that he's never done it before. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so something's obviously amiss. Uh, and um, he says, well, I've got one piece of advice to give you. 17. With that sort of portentous... thunderstorm. <laughs> yeah, I know, brilliant. Uh, and uh, as you know, I've been been looking into Seventeen, right. and uh, last time we mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago, I was looking at the sort of religious overtones of Seventeen. But mm-hmm. I, I, I did a little delve into the world of, of numerology, and uh, there's an awful lot of websites and sort of spiritual healers and practitioners in that kind of sort of uh, yoga um, shamanism type practices who strongly believe that the number 17 has a a symbolic and spiritual meaning and this is straight off uh, Wikipedia which quotes one of these websites these are the qualities the spiritual qualities associated with the number 17 so um, who does this remind you of insight Responsibility, self-discipline, strength, compassion, spiritual consciousness, wisdom, desire for peace and love for all humanity, and clairvoyance. I think it's got to be our very own Mr Blint. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Hmm. So, uh, I, can't, I can't feel that, that 17's a, a kind of random, arbitrary choice. I think... Uh, Peter Cook or Kevin Law or all three have done a bit of digging around. Right, and as you said on an earlier podcast, which I didn't know, Kevin Law's first group was called Group 17. Kev's, it turns out to be. Oh, okay, Law wasn't in it, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, intriguing, isn't it? It certainly is. Yeah. What is the problem? You are the problem. But perhaps Mr Haig and I can hammer out a formula and it would greatly assist me if you two went away. Well, uh, Rome wasn't burnt in a day. Come on, Lulu. Uh, about this time we get uh, Stapleton's f- um, first in a long line of aphorisms, <laughs> which are meaningless statements or slightly twisted versions of, of better-known proverbs. <laughs> yeah. um, but on closer inspection, they usually bring in one or more elements, mm. uh, usually... usually two elements at a time yeah what's the first one he says uh rome wasn't burnt in a day right and that is alan bennett isn't it it's, i mean the more you listen to state <laughs> sorry my accent was terrible yeah but just for the benefit of our other other listener uh, uh it's peter cook doing alan bennett isn't <laughs> yeah. it gotta be yeah and a lot of his uh, talking heads characters were would, would be saying exactly that sort of thing yeah sort of everyday throwaway kind of verbal wallpaper yeah, and he says uh, nothing to set the Thames on fire for. Right. So you've you've got water and fire together. Mixing. Yeah. Uh, you can't teach ducks, ducks to, to dance. dance. Yeah. Obviously, ducks are birds in the air. Water, and there's another bird reference as well. 
Um, not, pigeon don't eat corn. Yeah, exactly. Again, air and and corn, you know, grows in the earth. Right. So there's uh, clues already that Walter Stapleton, despite appearing to be a bit dim, a bit dim for, for yeah. want of a better word, yeah, he's actually the, the 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 most astute of all of them, apart from Blint. Right. Because he's he he's the first one who who. who begins to realise what Blint's talking about. And he notices independently that when Blint was playing his piano, everything went quiet. So he's clicked that there's something, you know, um, there's something, what's the word? Supernatural, maybe, about, about Blint's piano. And when he's talking to Lulu, when Pepperman sends Stapleton and Lulu away, you know, to sort of, you know, clear off, He's talking to Lulu about about hang gliding, which she's very interested in, of course, because she's she's the air character. And he says he fancied seeing life from a, a different angle. So again, you know, he's he's the more the most balanced, the most earthy of all the characters. He's got more of an appreciation of the other elements than than the other characters have. You know, there he is, an earth character, but he fancies going up into the air. Yeah. And just getting more of a an objective perspective on on the rest of the world. And for you, the business is good? Well, it's uh, steady, but nothing worth setting the Thames on fire for. You know that at 55, I feel like a break. Nothing drastic, but I like the look of that hang gliding. I think it would do me good to get up in the air a bit and see life from another angle. I don't think I'll be missed at the factory, though I can't be sure. I've not been in for four months. What is this gliding water? Well, you've got these wings, you see. Wings? Aye, and you jump off a cliff or something. It doesn't really matter what you jump off. I've only got a 20-foot drop here, so I wouldn't get much of a glide from this window. And it's not a good day for a debut. What's also interesting at that point is uh, he, he's, they're looking out the window at um, uh, a woman um, holding an umbrella that uh, mm. he, de- he defines as somebody trialling hang gliding, but it's clearly somebody <laughs> caught in a huge gust of wind and who is blown into a lamppost. <laughs> so it's already clear that things are very, very unusual outside, mm. but the four characters as yet don't seem to cotton on to that. You know, they're, they're, they're so focused on, on, on uh, minutiae of what they're doing. They're That's not right. really uh, cognizant of what's happening outside, which is already pretty serious and about to get worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, this, this, this sort of quite tender conversation between Walter and Lulu is the prelude to their song, isn't it? Their, their sort of imaginary duet. Uh, one of the... The greatest moments of consequences, I think. Yeah, it's quite tender. There's there's no antagonism between the two of them, is there? They just, you know, uh, considering they're about to divorce, they um, they get on the, the best of any two characters, really, don't they? They do, they do, and that's maybe part of of the the, the earthy character, the phlegmatic character. I think uh, compassion is one of the personal characteristics characteristics that, that comes with that that personality trait. Right, right. And I think the song Lost Weekend is so, so tender, isn't it? Beautiful piece of work. Lost 
yeah, it's a beautiful song. Um, would have been the contend the other contender for first single. Uh, I think in the end, the only single was Five O'clock in the Morning. Yeah. Perhaps because that just uh, landed with such a thud. They didn't. I think I'm right in saying they didn't bring out any more records yeah. or singles from the album. But it's a beautiful duet between Kev and and Sarah Vaughan. Yeah. And I believe they wanted initially to bring in. Um, they made an approach to Ella Fitzgerald. Did they? I think I'm right in saying that. Mm. Who wasn't available. Um, so they went with Sarah Vaughan and, and this track was recorded at the manor. Mm. Uh, they'd already pre-recorded uh, the backing track and Kev's lead vocal and he'd probably put a guide down uh, for what Sarah Vaughan did and um, according to the, that consequences, press back again. This was Her contribution was recorded in two hours and, and three takes. So quite a, um, you know, uh, shows off her incredible gift and professionalism and, and quite yeah. a difference to the slow pace with which a lot of the rest was recorded. Yeah. Uh, it is, a, considering she, uh, I don't believe she knew the song or barely knew it before she came in. She mm. really owns, owns that song. It's a wonderful vocal, and the range is fabulous. There's that note at the end, yes, uh, that where she hits the ceiling, yeah, and it's beautiful. There's no, there's no scrape to it. I mean, she's quite, she's pushing on in years, isn't she? Mm -hmm. She's recording this, but God, it's rich, soulful, yeah. beautiful. But I don't think she outdoes Kev. Um, you know, this song was made for his voice as yeah. well. It's a beautiful soulful lead vocal from, from from him as well yeah it really is again with nods to musical theatre uh, there's little echoes of bits of melody that I think I half recognise but I'm mm. not quite sure where from so they they just they just do that really well the keyboard here is um, a Rhodes I think which is a much softer sound than yeah. an acoustic piano which fits really well yeah kind of loungy jazz that kind of yeah. thing it's, it's a beautifully soft arrangement and, and the, the choir is very uh, rich a lot of Kev's voice in there isn't there yes those, those rich bass the notes surges surges on those oh, kind of dramatic oh, 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 yes slightly overdone possibly uh, but I love the drama of it I think it works within 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 that context I think it's great yeah uh, yeah the, the, yeah little I know what you mean about those little sort of 
melody touches, Paul. When the dust finally settles. Yeah, that reminds me. Da, 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 da. It's something. I mean, I haven't. Maybe I haven't, it's something from Sarah Vaughan's back catalogue. Could be. I'm thinking musical theatre, but I haven't picked it out in the, the last 40 years, so I'm, I'm likely to, to know what it is now. When the Again, there's those, the, the lovely imagery in the lyrics too, isn't it? Friends or lovers who can tell when the dust finally has settled, will I left, be left with roses or with nettles? Uh, and there's the, are we the rust upon the metal? Or the ghosts of folks who never settled down? I just think there's, again, there's a lot of lovely Inter- visual lovely imagery. Inter- in internal the rhymes there in the middle of a line. It's very, yeah. very skillfully done. Yeah. So there are there are mini scenes, mini movie like scenes going on in in the lyrics of all these songs as well. Yeah, it's Godly and Cream, uh, but a little bit more, uh, little pe- pared down from from their scattershot approach. You know, the, the, there's wordplay, but it's it, it's quite subtle. It, yeah. it, it's it, it's not it's not done in the same way as as earlier songs. Yeah, and it's not it's not done as deliberately clever clever as say something like somewhere that, in Hollywood. That's it. You hit the nail on the head. It's 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 more emotionally direct. Yeah, definitely. So uh, side three ends it, on, literally in, in on fine a high form. note. Yeah, <laughs> Sarah Vaughan's. Yeah, and the most beautiful high note on the whole album, I think. Gorgeous stuff. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening